Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of the Catholic Talk Show. Today we're going to be talking about the most misused and misquoted passages in the Bible. That's right. A lot of times people think they know what scripture says, but what they're remembering is actually not quite the actual meaning or the right usage. And we're going to go over those today. So pull out your Bibles. We can't get the word wrong. And let's open up and find out. All right, good to be back with you guys. Uh, definitely a topic that I'm sure a lot of people are interested in. I know I am. Um, just about how the Bible is used in so many different religions and so many different cases where people are trying to prove things with one another. So it's going to be interesting to open up that context uh, today with you guys. And and one of the things in the and really the mispractice of of using the Bible, I know that I'm I'm a culprit of it too. Is you know like a Bible roulette where you open up. And then you put your finger down and you get one verse. And, and it's like, you know, sometimes those verses can be taken out of context and then they could be used or misapplied in life. And it kind of takes its life of its own and it yeah. starts to communicate a different type of message. Not that it would be a bad message um, or maybe a more personal message, but we have to always treat scripture within the context. And we need to really dig deep into what this, you know, what scripture scholars say, what tradition explains to us along the way, and what was really the, the foundational uh, point that's being made by the author of, of the gospel or one of the letters. So this is going to be super helpful to really look at some of these, you know, top tiered, misquoted scripture verses, and we could start to see, hey, it's more important to really look at the scripture for what it's delivering, because it has a greater meaning for the whole body of Christ, not just us personally. You know, Reverend Father Pagano, you really nailed it there, because it really is about the context, right? And, and that's where most of these verses are being misapplied, is that they're being taken out of the fuller context that really explains it, because um, a lot of times in scripture, you could take one sentence, and without the sentence before and after, it really doesn't mean what you think it means. And people use that to justify arguments that really are either not biblical, not scriptural, or, or against, again, what the author was intending. So I'm going to go over Ryan a couple Shield, of these today. Question for you, Sheil. Was yes. that a deliberate quote from the Princess Bride? I think no, it means that. No, the but Reverend. interestingly enough... <laughs> It was a quote from Fezzik. <laughs> we did I not. Mean, we didn't set that up. That, that we didn't was, set that uh, up. That so how impressive. do you pick up the Prince's Bride? And I've got a fat head of Andre. The Th that's Giant incredible. Head. That's incredible. So wow. I, I think we let's get started in the Gospel of of Matthew. And if you want to join along, it's Matthew eighteen, chapter eighteen, verse twenty. And you'll see right away uh, something that this is very very familiar to everybody, um, <clears throat> because this is associated with the presence of Jesus Christ. Um, so starting out at verse 20, for where two or three are gathered together in my name, there am I in the midst of them. For where two or three are gathered together in my name, there I am in the midst of them. And <clears throat> this reminds me, this scripture verse reminds me of something that Paul the sixth actually taught 
And he said, you know, there are three very clear ways that Jesus comes to us in, inside, in, within the church. And it's through the word, through the sacrament of Eucharist, the source and summit of our faith, the true presence of Jesus Christ. And when two or more are gathered in his name. And, and what does that mean exactly? And, and what is being delivered in this scriptural context? So we have one verse here, but what's being said in the bigger picture, and, and we're going to get a better, better idea of what's happening here. Yeah, a lot of times people misapply this verse to justify all sorts of aberrations, all sorts of things that really are not intended by this verse. Uh, people use this to justify have, uh, well, number one, being spiritual but not religious, right, and, and not fulfilling their religious obligation. That is very clear in scripture. Uh, so, well, you no, know, well, I don't have to go to church because, you know, me and my wife praying. That's Jesus was there. Okay. And then they also use it to justify, uh, you know, creating non-denominational churches and creating disunity in the body of Christ. Jesus Christ clearly wanted all Christians to be in one body, right? In one body in his name. And, you know, with the tens of thousands of, of Protestant uh, denominations, this verse is I'm sure they probably have it tattooed on their necks because this is something that like justifies their existence. But if you look at the context of what's happening before it, it's about uh, somebody who sins. If there's a Christian who sins against another, right? They're talking about church governance here. They're talking not about having whatever willy-nilly church you want. They're talking about, okay, if someone sins against you, go directly to him. And if not, take it to the church, right? Take it to the church. And that's very easy to see that he's talking about the church being, you know, the bishops, right? Because whoever I, you know, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound on earth and loosed in heaven, right? Um, and whenever two or three of you are gathered in my name, I mean, I think it's pretty clear that those are the bishops. And you'll see that in the kind of um, the, the council structure that the church has always used, right? Where two bishops are agreeing. That's one of the big... Um, things to say a dogma, right? All of the church fathers agree. It, it's more towards that. It's not really towards justifying whatever church structure that you want. So from a commentary on Matthew from the church fathers, so this is going all the way back to tradition. One of the references to this particular verse expresses, so greatly has the Lord desired peaceful harmony among men that he declares everything will be done, which is deservedly sought from God in accord of unity, where two or three have been gathered together in like spirit, and will he promise he promises that he will be there in their midst. For peace and love themselves have made their home and settlement among those of a good and peaceful will. And when we when we think of our obligation as Catholics to go to church on the weekend, for example, to go to church on Sunday. Well, it's an obligation to show up and love your neighbor. It gives us the circumstantial opportunity to be able to settle some scores and settle some differences with our neighbor. And that is so important because only Jesus is going to be able to call us to the table and exact certain judgment and justice so that we can overcome our, our misunderstandings, our misgivings. And thank, thank the Lord for that, because without the person of Jesus Christ calling us to be in that common unity, we don't have any other institution that would be able to provide that. So how often is it the case that, you know, what Sheil was talking about, 
you know, people tend to say, oh, well, this is my personal relationship with Jesus. And like my scripture professor in the seminary would always would always joke around and say, don't touch my Jesus, you know, like stay away from my relationship with Jesus, you know, like you have your relationship with him. I have my relationship with him. And that's and that's good. Let's stay in that relativistic uh, cycle. Well, no, that's that's exactly what Jesus is against. You know, Jesus wants us to be of one mind, one heart, one body. And, and that takes a labor of love and forgiveness because we're constantly coming into contact with other people's limitations and other people's sinfulness, including our own. And none of us have a corner market on it. So, you know, the importance of what is what's being addressed right now is how important forgiveness is, how important humility is. And, and seeking that unity that is so clearly articulated in Jesus Christ and the way that he taught, he, he treated the Samaritans, mm -hmm. the Gentiles, the Greeks, the Roman centurion, whoever it was, Jesus himself in his person was breaking down barriers and drawing people into living in that fellowship in good and peaceful will. You know, I think it's important to look back just three verses at 18, 17, Matthew 18, 17. If the member refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if the offender refuses to listen, even to the church, let such a one be to you as a Gentile or a tax collector. So right there, they're showing that the church really is who that unity is being sought around, right? Because if the church, if they don't listen to the church, they're treated as a Gentile or a tax collector. That's excommunication. That's it right there. That's excommunication. So and how revolutionary to right? like live as a as a bonded unit like isn't that wouldn't that be attractive think back 2000 years ago right. when gentiles are looking at like this christian community and and i could belong to this community like i'm welcomed into this community I, i'll do whatever i need to do to live in in that form of security of living as one that's right i mean there can only be one church because if you're not in agreement with the church and those two together and agreeing, that's the bishops, that's the apostles agreeing in union with tradition and scripture and that the church can then put someone out as a Pharisee. So anyone not in union is being talked about there. So I think it almost completely flips on its head the way that that script, that verse is misused, you know? And, and it's, you know, like we we've expressed, you know, my personal relationship with Jesus or like, uh, the division that has happened within the Catholicos, within the universal church established by Jesus Christ, and how many denominations are out there, but it's even within our own church as well. You know, like this, this how many people are more Catholic than the Pope in, in, the, in the present circumstances of, of what we find ourselves in? Like two or three, and, and they're all on YouTube. <laughs> <laughs> it, it's, it's, and a, they don't agree a, with themselves, so Jesus isn't there with them. I'm just. <laughs> But it is. I mean, it's concerning. And, and there's and there's so many people who set themselves away from church governance, from the bishops, from how the church has been established by Jesus Christ himself. So, again, we, we really need to take a, a closer look at this verse because it really confronts where we are as a Catholic church and as a society today. Mm -hmm. You know, and in our humility, in our docility and in our obedience, um, it's important things to have. I mean, Jesus wanted it, who might argue with it, right? Amen. I mean, if there was two or three of me and we were all cloned and we all agreed that I could argue it, but otherwise I can't. Could so. you imagine two or three Ryan Shields? <laughs> oh. 
take over the world. But look, if there's two more of me, I know about the first thing I would do. Get rid, of both of, get rid of both of you and have a show with just three of me. <laughs> the exuded of humility that's going on. Right now. <laughs> be like the Archies. So All basically, right. basically what we're saying here is that the, the cart's kind of coming before the horse. Most of the time this is misused. That's yeah, right. pretty much as a scripture passage. All right, Father Rich, do you want to go to the next verse that we have here? Happy to. So we're flipping to Philippians chapter flipping four. Flipping to Philippians. Flipping to Philippians. All that rap you listened to back in the day is paying off in your priesthood now <laughs> because you've got that kind of flow. <laughs> so chapter four. So if you're following along, open up to Philippians chapter four, verse 13. And this one was definitely popularized on the football field. And you're going to oh. know right away. So here we go. I have the strength for everything through him who empowers me. I have the strength for everything through him who empowers me. Philippians 4.13. You know, I think a translation that people will be more familiar with because you're using the St. Joseph, New Jerusalem. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I'm going to use the uh, NIV here just because I think it's more commonly heard this way. I can do all things through him who gives me strength, right? Mm -hmm. Um, I, do, I can I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Right. You know this is this is a tattoo that my brother has on his on his bicep. <laughs> <laughs> you mentioned the football field. This one got really got a lot of publicity about from the great Ryan Delacrosse, right? Now, yeah, he, no. he used to he used to, he used to wear it on his chest on the football field. For how for how bad Tim Tebow was as a quarterback, he still made it to the NFL. So that tells you about Delacrosse's quarterbacking skills. But it was Tebow. <laughs> Tebow. Hey, he still, hey he my boy Delacrosse still has those uh, those records though. That's um, right. Um, a lot of times, this verse is used to kind of as a cheap platitude towards motivation and and personal accomplishment. Mm -hmm. Like you know, hey, I, I'm I'm going to go that. Uh, I'm going to go that extra mile when I'm running today because, you know, gosh darn it, Jesus is helping me run that extra mile or, you know, um, yeah, I really, I'm going to get this business off of the ground. You know, I know it's struggling, but Jesus, I can do all things or I'm going to climb a mountain and take a sweet picture of me on top of the mountain because I can do all things through Jesus. And that's really, it's cool. Jesus is with you, right? You know, he's carrying you up the mountain. Great. That's not what this means. This has been being written by Paul when he's in prison, right? I mean, Paul was, you know, writing these letters to the churches because he knows he's on trial. He's under house arrest in prison. And he's going to get executed. He knows it, right? I mean, he can appeal to his Roman citizenship, but he knows how this is going to play out. So he's kind of writing his last messages to people in prison. And he's saying this because he's saying this particular verse because he knows that's happening. And this is something that he has to endure, right? And it's not about, hey, I'm going to push through and I'm going to accomplish what I never was able to. No, I can take anything that Christ gives me because of the, the promise of heaven and because of his grace. And it's, it's really more about endurance in the spiritual sense than trying to achieve some kind of, you know, human accomplishment. Mm. Yeah, human or worldly, worldly accomplishment. And, and that's where it's, it's a major crossroad because there's a somber result of this, you know, like, like you're saying, like Paul in prison is being met by the grace of Christ and it's, it's in his humility. So it's not that like, he's jumping around, you know, pumping his fist in the air. Like I've, I've made it, you know, and I've done this by the, by the strength of Christ and I've succeeded. It's like, no, it's like a somber reconciliation and it's a somber realization 
of what this world is in relationship to the deposit of faith and the witness of Paul. And, and it's so, it's so important to realize what joy is in the context of that too, because at the very, very beginning, Paul goes into joy and peace in the context of this rejoice in the Lord. Always. I shall say it again, rejoice. And that sense of always means, you know, like Christ crucified. So, you know, to the point of, of my flesh, and my and my worldly ambitions being crucified, you know, it's it's there. You know, yeah, I mean, it's, Paul knows he's going to get executed. What mm-hmm. he's saying is, like, look, this is going to suck. This is Paul's Gethsemane, right? This is Paul facing down his fate, right? And he knows, hey, this is going to be hard. Now, you know, other people say, yeah, well, I'm going to start doing, you know, jujitsu. I'm going to kick some ass and get out of here, and I'm going to climb the mountain and put. Philippians 4 13 on, under my eyes. And I've, I've won Paul saying, no, it's not about like climbing the mountain. It's like, I'm going to be able to endure this. I'm going to be able to face my execution because I believe in Christ without renouncing him. That's what the accomplishment, that is the crown. That is the martyr's crown. That's every, the award. That, that's really interesting. Cause you see a lot of athletic wear um, that uses that. And so, I mean, I, I, I personally just listening to you guys contextualize this more. Just think about how people have a relationship with God through all their struggles in their life, right? Yes. So, so they they they've been met with circumstances or um, just tragedy, and the way that they get through that is to reach out to God, to cry out to God, because He sustains them in these times and gets them through it. And you know, it's a beautiful thing. I was just talking to a, a lady. Uh, last Sunday at church about uh, her nephew and he wasn't supposed to survive. And there's just lots of prayers going on. She said that this has been the most beautiful experience she's had with God amongst her family and these other things, you know? And so like, I look at that and I'm like, man, that's way more meaningful, you know, (laughs) context that we have here with Paul, you know, even Paul says that, that we're like, insofar as we are weak, you know, we are strengthened by God. Like the strength that we get from God actually comes from our weakness. Mm -hmm. You know, he says that in another, uh, and maybe I'm misquoting it, but we can. No, but I mean, right there talking about the sentiment that's you're, you're very right. It's that this is not Paul saying it's, this is going to be my accomplishment. This is saying I'm being bolstered and I'm being fortified to be able to face this thing that God has decided for me. You know, a lot of times people take this to say it's going to be a domineering win of the human spirit where I overcome my own limitations. That's a that's not what this is. This is yeah. about I remember when my father-in-law, he was dying, had brain cancer, and he faced it with just a he told us, he's like, I've shown you how to live, now I'm gonna show you how to die. Right. Now, a lot of times it's like, well, I'm gonna overcome this and I'm gonna keep working and working, and I'm gonna beat cancer. This was I'm going to show you how to face something. And that's the triumph because there's more triumph than that because everybody dies, right? Mm-hmm. Everybody achieves mm-hmm. stuff, but being able to face those types of things with grace and humility, that's really when Christ is walking with you. That's when Christ is giving you that strength. Sheil, every man dies, but not every man truly lives. And when we, when we turn to verse eight, this is, this is Paul expressing, finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is gracious, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. 
Keep on doing what you have learned and received and heard and seen in me. So this is, this is again, Paul in prison facing his own death, preaching Christ crucified. He's talking about the end. Hmm. Then the God of peace will be with you. <clears throat> That's where Christ makes us strong. Yeah. And, and it's having the peace facing death. And, and this is where, you know, and this bridges so well with the prosperity gospel. Mm. It's, it's like, no, the, the things that work toward the good for those who believe and profess faith, those who, those who uphold what they learn and receive in the heralds of the gospel that has been passed down through tradition from, from generation to generation, is that facing the reality of all of these beautiful and honorable things that are being crucified in the world, anything truly good and anything truly honorable and lovely and excellent is being crucified in the world. So in respect to that, in our communion with Christ, in that somber reality, it's reconciling everything to the Father through that offering. And that's where the peace is. Mm-hmm. And, and it's not that it's going to change the worldly reality. It's not going to change the world. Jesus Christ died, but he rose three days later. And, and what is yet to be seen and what is longed for is something that is going to be re- realized in the mystical body of Christ as we follow in procession behind Paul, behind the apostles, and in succession to what Christ has accomplished. Thanks be to God for the person of Jesus Christ. And we must always proclaim him crucified. That's what sets us apart. Now, you mentioned in there, you mentioned the prosperity gospel. And we have another one of the verses that I think actually kind of segues into that very nicely. And this is coming from, this is Luke eleven ten. For everyone who asks, receives, and the one who seeks, finds. And to the one who knocks, the doors will be opened. This verse is always and consistently abused by um, prosperity gospel preachers who are saying, look, I need a new jet and I'm asking God's going to provide it. I need a new 20,000 square foot mansion in Texas that I don't pay taxes on. I need, um, you know, I need you guys to donate a million dollars because we're going to put a Starbucks in our church. You know, you're going to be rich too. All you have to do is ask and God... Look, if God wanted us to be rich, there'd be, you know, he would have done it, right? God does not want us to be satisfied with the things of this world. But these prosperity gospel preachers take verses like this and make it seem because it's, dude, it's a big financial scam. I'm sorry. You know, it is. I mean, maybe I'm just enough of a jerk to say it claim, you know, clearly prosperity gospel is a scam. It's people manipulating the gospel to make money for themselves. Father Rich, I know how you live. You live pretty modestly. You know, you got a couple pairs of shoes and five outfits and you live in somebody nine, else's house. Nine socks. I got some religious, I got some religious socks. Yeah, look at that. <laughs> These are my <laughs> fancy shoes here. They don't look terribly fancy. Orthotics. Nice. Orthotics. I can smell it through the microphone. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, you've clean, taken man. your shoes off more on this this talk show than I, I don't anybody. know why. It just comes I don't know. Leave your shoes on you, Carmelite. Goodness. Maybe that that was actually the original religious community I was discerning was the oh, See, yeah, that's you have that kind of a yes spiritual <laughs> and odorific sense about you. <laughs> but you know, uh, people saying Christ wants you to be rich, and all you have to do is ask, and He's going to give it to you. It's such a scam. It's such an affront to the gospel. 
it's such an affront to the son of man who had nowhere to lay his head and who, you know, all of his apostles lived poorly and modestly and shared everything community. I, I detest this so much. And I do it. I'll straight up fight a prosperity gospel preacher. I, you know, he could keep the gate, but this is, it's, it's just not so okay. treacherous. It's so treacherous it's to the body of Christ. I mean, it really is. How many people have, have lost uh, a sense of, of what Christ's teachings are because of people like that? It's the Protestant walked away from Jesus. That's the Protestant version of, of uh, liberation theology that you're going to get yours. Now you're going to get your reward right now here on earth. That's just not, knock. yeah, just knock. All you have to do is ask. Stop, dude. I love in the, the song of Bernadette. Um, she, Mary says to Bernadette, I never promised you'd be happy here on this earth, only in the next. Mm-hmm. that's the only thing the gospel ever promises mm-hmm. the gospel in fact says you're going to be persecuted the gospel says you're going to have to pick up your cross and follow the gospel says that people are going to hate you for his name not that you're going to be rich influential and well liked and if anyone tells you different they're they're freaking lying to you it's a lie it's a perversion of the gospel and that's the kind of thing that is really ruining the name of christianity among younger people today because they can smell through that like father rich's shoes off right it's and, and it's, it's it's a travesty i i really as you could tell i dislike it it used to be really bad i think back still when is evangelist stuff was going on that was pretty bad stuff but yeah yeah but now they got stuff. slick mega churches with bands and they got their nice oh yeah nice suits oh, yeah. and their joel olstein hey man everything's cool god wants you just ask and you'll receive by the yeah. way, send the check to Joel Olstein Ministries for my $25,000 mansion in Houston. Dude, eat it. You know? $25,000 mansion. Uh, 25,000 square foot mansion. Uh, or whatever. Whatever he has. I don't care. People yeah. are allowed to have what they want, but to try to steal it off the back but of the he, gospel. By him having that, he kind of represents that gospel to them. You know? Yeah. Well, and, that, and then it's, it, I've, I've literally heard, like, wouldn't you, wouldn't you want your pastor to be driving you know, a Ferrari, like, wouldn't you, you want your, church? you know, and, yeah. and you can easily kind of get into that, into those circles and into that movement, like, and, and your yeah. success pastorally is, is related to your success financially. Mm-hmm. No, man, like your success pastorally is how much you are appropriating Christ crucified in your own poverty. And, and that's why I'm so proud to be Catholic because the Catholic church still upholds the the spiritual and corporal works of mercy and the sense of uh taking vows of poverty of simplicity of obedience of of chastity of perpetual chastity of celibacy these these types of poverties that seem so unattractive to the world thanks be to god that we have that within the church it is held within its institution let's focus on that and celebrate that that yeah. isn't changing, right? It, it's it's been a part of the church from the very beginning in the person of Jesus Christ, Son of God, revealed. So if Jesus shows us that type of poverty, don't you think we should follow in suit? And it doesn't mean that money can't be a part of it. It it means that money is but a responsibility, mm-hmm. and then what we do with it is is so important. And the person of Judas within the within the characterization of what happened within the twelve is an important lesson to be learned. And, and it can be applied so that we could see through that lens, like, who am I following here? You know, you know, am I following Judas and his ambition? Am I following 
Jesus Christ? And, and how is that contextualized in my own time? Like, I, you know, Fr St. Francis constantly confronts me. And St. Lawrence, St. Lawrence, you know, he's the, he's the patron saint of deacons. He was, you know, he was martyred on the gridiron. Speaking of Tebow, he was, you know, martyred on the gridiron, much like Tebow's career. Uh, both went this up in flames. Um, <laughs> uh, Tebow's fine. But uh, he was a deacon and the deacon's job back then really was to manage the church's business affairs and the money of the church and make sure of its financial governance. And uh, the Pope at the time was, you know, round up and he was executed. Uh, by the Romans. And then they go to Lawrence and they say, now you've seen what we're going to do to you. Go bring us all the, the, the treasures of the church. You have one day to come back. So Lawrence says, okay, cool. Understood. Leaves. Next day, he goes back to the prefect and he has all the poor Christians with him. He said, these are the treasures of the church. I this is that. where our treasure is. I love that. Now that's a pretty, Lawrence had to be a pretty bold guy, right? Because <laughs> Hey man, you know, he's getting cooked on the grill and they're like, flip me over. I'm done on the side. And then they say, bring the treasures. And he brings the poor people. I mean, pretty sassy dude. Right. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but that's awesome. But it also shows you how the church, even in its very nascent stages, really saw the treasure of the church. It was not about, you know, father rich driving a Bugatti or, you know, <laughs> whatever, you know, it was about fidelity to Christ. And, and that's why those kinds of things really, uh, it really drives me crazy because it it really hurts people's perception of the church and it of Christianity and it makes it very difficult to help uh, people in the modern world to take it seriously. It's kind of this Calvinistic predetermination type thing where it's like, you know, you can prove that God really loves you and you're one of the the elect because you're successful. It's a very yeah, no, thank you, not a fan. It's, it definitely skews the 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 relationship that one would have with, with Jesus in, in a time of need too, yeah. as well. You You're know? right. It's a perfect segue to our next scriptural verse. And I invite you to join me on first Timothy chapter six, verse 10. And this is the false teaching and true wealth. What, what that, what that means. So this is a perfect segue starting at verse 10 for the love of money is the root of all evils. And some people in their desire for it have strayed from the faith and have pierced themselves with many pains. <laughs> and this is, this is such a great context in what we're, what we're sharing, especially that sense of pierce themselves with many, many pains. Uh, we've got to, we've got to pray, right? And, and we've got to pray for these people who preach the prosperity gospel. What a trap. You know, what a trap for them and, and how they've sunk their teeth into that that type of wealth. Uh, so let's intentionally pray for them and, and ask God to to inspire their movement to the greater realities of what what's being preached here and See, to participate but, in that. Now, but here's the thing with this one, and this is why it's so often misquoted, is that the love that money is the root of all evil. Money is not the root of all evil. The love no, of money, the love, the of, love money. of money. Money is a great the attachment. Thing. Money is a good thing. It allows you to support the poor. It allows you to build beautiful churches that elevate the mind to God. It allows you to patronize the uh, great artists and create magnific magnificent works of art that last for all time and speak to the truth, beauty, and goodness of the blessed Trinity. It allows you to uh, have security for your family. It allows you to invest in businesses that allow you to employ people. Money is a good thing, but money is an item. 
money is meant to be used. I think it was Fulton Sheen that said, you know, we have to love people and use items, but too often we love items and use people. Mm-hmm. Money is not a bad thing. Money is not evil. The love of money, that desire, that's the part that people misunderstand about this verse. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you watch all these shows. Like I used to watch uh, back <clears throat> back when I was, you know, with the young kids a lot. I'd watch shows at night like American Greed, you know, and then you, you would watch these people and they would just, the only focus they had was money and, and it drove them to do things uh, that that really just met right back up with the bottom line. Mm-hmm. And all these things that they did were crazy. And this is what the love of money causes you to do is be blinded to your brother, you know, to be blinded to the poor, to be blinded um, to the people that you're around and the love that, you know, that you should show them, you know, you see that a lot. How many times has it come up in, in the history of the world where love of money led to bloodshed mm-hmm. and, and led to the outright murder of a dignified, noble human person? made in the image and likeness of God. And, you know, I I think back before American Greed, and I I remember uh, watching (laughs) Scrooge McDuck or, you know, like, you know, like some of these cartoons that had, uh, you know, the, the, um, you know, just say something real quick. If Scrooge McDuck jumped off of a a high jump into a big pile (laughs) of gold coins, he wouldn't swim. He would break his duck neck, dude. He would go plunk. And he would break his neck and then he would be consumed and he would die within those coins. And he probably wouldn't even sink in because of the way of, you know, particle motion. So, but dude, I mean, he was able to pull off the backstroke. Dude, in he, was, that, he was soft he was gold, guys. He was soft gold. gold out of his mouth like, like water. He would have died in his love of money. He would have died because he was so focused on. Let's stay in reality, would you? We need no, to- it, the Scrooge McDucks, okay? <laughs> <laughs> to the Scrooge McDucks of the world, get your priorities straight. Well, he's probably a Scottish Presbyterian because he's you know, a Scotsman. <laughs> so, you know, good luck, man. I think you had already been excommunicated in that first verse that we read. So, <laughs> so you know, something that that I recall in my ministry was I, I preached at a impact investing uh, group, and and I talked about legacy. And the importance of being an ambassador with the wealth that you have grown for an overall impact, not only on your family, but on on society, on on the local subsidiarity of of community life and recognizing poverty and having the creative ability from the wealth that you've generated to have an impact. And, And that is a rejection of love of money but a proper responsibility toward it mm-hmm. and, and seeing what that responsibility is and what it can do is seen within the characterization of Jesus and his relationship with the apostles. And, and there was need of money. That's why they had a money bag. But then we also see, you know, the misuse and the greater love that started to develop within the person of Judas who started to skim from that money bag because of his love and affection. Now, what was clearly, he the buying? Pro- what was he even buying with it? Was he, was he buying like a bigger piece of fish or something? You know, yeah, I mean, that's like- that's what's so questionable about it. And and but we, it's relatable though, isn't it? Like it's absolutely relatable. You just want a little bit more. You want to be greater than the mm-hmm. next person. Well, you know, John and James are left and right hand side of Jesus, and Peter, he's the Prince of the Apostles. 
well, you know, well, guess what? I've got a, you know, I've got what some is nicer Judas Jeru- He's yeah. got nicer Jerusalem cruiser sandals on because he was skimming out of the bag, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Was that no, worth it? And 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 that and that's it. And and again, you know, when we when we look at what the scriptures are pointing to here, how how often is this uh, is this misunderstanding driven into our culture and culturally appropriated? And you know, there there is a responsibility with the money that you make in respect to your job. There, there's a responsibility for me. Like I make a salary. I, I didn't take a vow of poverty. I'm not a Franciscan. I'm not, you know, I, I didn't take a vow, but I, I have a responsibility to have proper stewardship over my money. And then what I do with that money is also measurable before God. And I want it to be associated with impact, not for now my you have own a vow life. of simplicity or promise of simplicity, though. I right? do a promise of simplicity. Mm-hmm. Yeah. which is not the same as poverty, but it's, again, I think that speaks perfectly. Your promise of simplicity speaks perfectly to money itself is not evil, but the love of money is you vow to have a, you know, have money, you get paid a diocesan salary, but you live simply without the attachment towards more, 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 you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like it's, it's not like I'm managing, you know, five properties and I've got my, I've got my boat and my Bugatti and my, you know, and I'm, I'm managing all of that. And I have oversight over all of my possessions. Like, no, like the simplicity is, is I wake up in the morning and I serve the mystical body of Christ. What, what, you know, for me, it's the joy of my life. Like, I don't even have to worry about it. Really. I have exactly what I need to be able to manage what, what I personally have need for and then I have the I have the surplus to be able to impact in different ways and invest in different ways, and and what what a joy! But it it doesn't possess my my time where like this is all I'm thinking about. Not at all. What mm-hmm. what I'm thinking about is building a church and 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 properly hitting the dynamics of the poverty that is present in my community and building a church to do that in the name of Jesus Christ. You know. And even- and, and, Even in the midst of all that craziness, you know, of of that simplicity in that life, life still gets crazy. And so Mm -hmm. that's why we started Estovir Expeditions. We're going to be bringing men out to the simplicity of God's beautiful creation. We're going to be receiving the sacraments. We're going to be hanging out with a lot of guys from all over the country that you don't know. And to separate yourself from that world, to embrace this simplicity of manly life you know hiking fishing rafting uh good food like all that stuff is still very important even if you live a simple life so we we know there's some guys out there that you know in their daily jobs and what things that they're doing you know every week and just the things that are around them step away with us go on an expedition it's a beautiful thing all the guys that went last summer on our pilot uh, we're all still friends. We're all still communicating with each other. It was a bond that was created that was absolutely beautiful. And this year we've expanded from Colorado. We're going to do a trip to Colorado, but we're also doing another one to Bozeman, Montana. So Estovir Expeditions is, is what Father Rich and I started last year, and we did our pilot. Uh, that's what we started for this purpose, to separate yourself from your life, detachment from everything that you've got going on, even if you do live si- simply. Uh, and to just engage in God's beauty, adventurous activities, and just awesome brotherly conversations around the sacraments and 
Good food. What do you got um, to say about that, Father Rich? Pretty good trip, wasn't it? I, I think I think so much can be done with simplicity and so much can happen. And and that's something that that Delacrosse and I have spoken at length about. How many times is it that you go on a retreat and your schedule is so jam-packed because you got to make this conference, you got to wake up, this, you got to go to this, 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 this. And we stripped all of that down. And let's let God minister to us men. And let's, let's walk the path together. And it's the mystery of walking the path together and the organic nature of our conversation and the faithful celebration of the Eucharist and going to confession. Just keeping it simple creates such a relaxing environment, but some of the most inspirational pockets to your year. I'm still benefiting from yeah. those conversations that I had on the trailways. Uh, on this, on the paths of, of Colorado and Pagosa Springs, some of the most inspiring moments of, of my life was just being immersed in that nature with other brothers. So yeah, we want to definitely encourage you to check out estoveerexpeditions.com and you'll see the ways that you could join us on this next expedition. And we're excited about piloting for the first time, Fiat, a group for the women to go. Yeah, we got a lot of, a lot of conversations a lot of women reached out to us and said, what about the, the ladies? So, so we mm -hmm. started that. We've already got some ladies registering. My wife's going to be on the trip. Um, it's, it's a trip that Father Rich and I are planning for the ladies. Uh, we're, uh, we're basically acquiring some of the same activities for you guys. So um, yeah, another, another great thing for women. This is going to be the pilot. Um, this is going to be the pilot for women. So it's really exciting. I think a lot of the men that went on the pilot were really excited to be on something like that. Um, I know I was that doing it for the first time was really amazing and it went it really well. So again, Fiat Expeditions is for the females. And so there's something there at that website where you can sign up to that one's going to be in Bozeman as well. So estoveerexpeditions.com, fiatexpeditions.com. Hope to see you on a trip. All of yeah, us those, need those are, a little um, influx of, of simplicity in life, without a doubt. And our sponsor for the show, we want to give a big shout out to because they have really created a program of 90 days of pure simplicity and, and entering into a impoverished sense of let me restrict my flesh, let me restrict all the movements of my flesh, and let me enter into the spirit of fraternity and discipline. And that is Exodus 90. And they're That's about right. to get going right now. So. They are. So this year's Exodus begins on January 17th. So what they do is it's a 90 day period of a purgation, really, right? It's really living your best Lent ever. Uh, it's doing things like restricting what you eat, restricting how much media you consume, con restricting how much food you eat, restricting, um, you know, how much money you spend, right? It's really about getting yourself back to the basic fundamental self. And these are based on the teachings of the desert fathers, right? It's a really kind of a monastic or an ascetic approach towards realigning yourself towards Christ. And it's a 90 day period, which has a lot of scientific merit to it. That 90 days is kind of like the, the way to reset neurological pathways. So it begins on January 17th, 90 days before Easter. So this is, it's a really cool program. They have a great app, has all kinds of great features like 
uh, daily readings. It has reflections. They have a new fraternity finder because one of the big things of Exodus 90 is doing it with your brothers, right? So they have a way for you to find other men who will go and support you in this lifestyle change over the next 90 days. So make sure Again, it starts January 17th. Go to exodus90.com right now. Get signed up. You can start the app for free. Uh, download it. Make sure that it's for you because this is something that really could realign you and, and let you live a Lent that you have never experienced so that when you get to Easter this year, you're going to have the joy of Easter in a way that's proper to the resurrection of Christ that you've never experienced before. So again, go to exodus90.com. The Exodus starts on January 17th. And I want to I want to just encourage all the men out there like, you know, that fraternity finder is very, very helpful. But I also want to encourage you go to your parish, you know, and and if it's something that's not in your parish, make it happen. You know, yeah. talk to like I, I, I spoke with the leadership at for that man is you in my parish. And there was a number of guys who were seeking to have some fraternity. So they made a presentation and they're going to they're going to start a group for this Exodus 90 starting in just a few days. So make it happen, you know, and, and St. Therese of Lisieux expressed this. She said, if you see something lacking in community, it's because God's given you the wonderful insight to recognize that there's a need. And if he's given you that ability to recognize the need, he's also given you the ability to be able to put it there. So put what is lacking in community and step up. And we need your leadership for the transformation of the world, the transformation of society and fulfilling the responsibility that we have as men to follow Christ and to be leaders. So, you know, we just want to give a big shout out to all men like Try Exodus 90. It's a wonderful jumpstart to your spiritual life and, and the reproving of your masculinity before God. That's right. Thanks for that, guys. Now, before we get into our fifth and our final verse that's misused, which is the granddaddy of all misused verses, I want to go over a couple few things real quick. And these are things that people think that are in the Bible that actually aren't in the Bible. Um, <laughs> now, we've all heard cleanliness is next to godliness. You'd imagine that comes from the Bible. It actually doesn't. It actually comes from um, John Wesley, the founder of uh, uh, Methodism, uh, you know, and he's talking about, uh, you know, the Jewish customs of keeping themselves clean. It, there's nothing wrong with the sentiment per se, but it's not actually in the Bible, but most people would think that it is. Um, yeah, I've been trying to preach that to you guys when we shoot together in my house. And, uh, dude, I'm you know, and you guys re wholeheartedly reject that no. message. I am meticulous. I leave it like I wasn't even there. <laughs> all and those I hope pistachio you... shells. So are you just going to straight up blame Delacrosse for all those pistachio shells? You're darn right. I didn't do it. Delacrosse has got stink lines like pig pen when he's at your house. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't leave him it. cheese wrappers and stuff. <laughs> <laughs> you and Dunkley, Delacrosse. Dunkley. The bromance is real. Um, yeah, the bromance is real. God helps those who help themselves. Number one, that's not kind of a Bible. terrible sentiment. It's not in the Bible. That's kind of a very secular approach to, well, yeah, you know, God helps you if you help yourself. It's a very, again, predetermination, Calvinistic kind of approach. That was actually most popularized by Benjamin Franklin in the Farmer's Almanac, where he was quoting some preacher from the 1600s, a Protestant preacher. Not in the Bible, guys. God helps those who help themselves. Um Another one, I think, and the last one I'll get into is that everyone says it. Well, God works in mysterious ways. Not in the Bible. It doesn't, it doesn't say that. Now, there's things that uh, kind of talk about the mystery of God, but the phrase or the, the, the sentiment even that God works in mysterious ways, not in Scripture. 
Mm. So. And isn't it isn't it true that Jesus Christ is the mystery revealed? You That's know? right. And and thank you know when we think of Christ crucified, like no matter what we're going to suffer, including death itself, the mystery has been revealed. Yeah, and we have such a consolation because we should be we should be at peace. About yeah, when it. the apostles asked Jesus, "Show to us the Father," and he says, uh, "Have I have you been with me so long and still don't know that this you know Amen. you have seen him, you know in in my person?" And um, I mean. The mystery is that he appeared as a really regular guy, you know, I mean, he's a, you know, carpenter from Nazareth. That's mysterious enough, but it's also plain as the nose on, you know, your yes. face. And that's very clear. That's, that's that beautiful interplay between mystery and closeness that God has with us. Mm-hmm. So father rich, I've been dreading that we get to this one for two I know. weeks. Number one, cause it's going to end our time together. And I guess my <laughs> bros, man, you're my world, right? But so, the beautiful thing about the Catholic talk show is that we are here every single week and we're continuing to build out community life point, every week, Ugh. every week. Oh, joy every week. I got to do this, <laughs> <laughs> which by so the way, want- if you go to catholictalkshow.com, father, Rich, what can they do there? They can see all the ways that they can listen in. We're on all the podcast forums, iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, Podbean, Spotify, Podbean, which is my personal favorite. <laughs> and we're also on YouTube. And if you find yourself on YouTube right now, make sure you click the subscribe button. No, don't don't click it. Don't roundhouse do it. kick it. Do Get it. on the top ropes, throw a flying elbow on it. I want you to smash it and crush that like subscribe button. Like it's Satan's face himself, right? What about a Have thumbs that up? Can they, can they karate kick one of those thumbs up? No, that's excessive. Just give a thumbs up. That's excessive. What <laughs> you do? Like, uh, what? <laughs> so the very, very last, last thing that we want to share with you of a misquoted scripture, and this one people have tattooed on their bodies. Stop judging that you may not be judged. Oh. Matthew judge chapter 7, not less verse be judged. Oh goodness gracious, that is the most terribly misapplied. Talk about culture. relativism. It, it, it and it, it really you you back yourself into a point of isolation. Only God, only God can judge me. You know, isn't that only Tupac? It, that was Tupac actually, and and it's it is treacherous. Like it's a treacherous sense of like no, God has given us reason. God has given us the ability to rationally recognize something as being objectively wrong and evil, right? And, and we need to judge that. And that's not what this scripture is getting at. It's not. It's saying, be a fair judge. It's saying, if you read this, the next, the next verse after, it's like, because you're going to be judged by the same measure. Look, if you're going to hold someone's feet to the fire for a thing that they do and you do it yourself, well, then you're bringing your own judgment upon yourself. You're bringing your judgment on your own head, right? It's about being fair. It's not saying that, look, you know, your kid's out, you know, smoking weed and, and you know, stealing cars that you can't say, well, you know, hey, I can't really judge you, son. No, that's, that's <laughs> stupid. That's not what it's saying. It's saying if you're out stealing, you know, if you're doing it yourself, your kids are like, I learned it from you, dad. And then you can't really judge it, right? Because you brought it on him. Kind of like but, forgive. It's kind of like the Our Father, forgive us our sins as we forgive those who yeah, trespass. You're, you're right, and judge us. You know the same way that we would judge others, right? Do unto others as you'd have them do unto you. Now, look, guys, if I'm doing something terrible, I I, I would hope you guys would call me out and you'd judge me and say, "Dude, I mean, you, you can't just keep on 
you know, kicking puppies off a bridge, bridge while drinking scotch. It's terrible. You can't do it. Now, if I ever get to that, I would hope and I would rely on you to correct. The anchor man came in my head there when he kicked that. <laughs> That's, That's one, of the, one of the greatest scenes. Baxter! <laughs> <laughs> No, and, and it is, it's, it's treacherous to the body of Christ. And when we look at all five of these misquoted uh, scripture verses, can't we see that, you know, the bigger picture is that, that Christ himself desires unity among us. And it requires us in this scripture verse to be able to judge wisely and, and, and to really enter into community life. And like you were saying, how, how often is it the case that people start to develop in their own mind calling something that is objectively evil good for themselves. Mm -hmm. And then they just, they push everybody away. It's like, no, this is, this is good for me. Well, you know, that's a scary place. That's a very isolated and scary place. We need people to say, no, like this is not a good thing. And, and these are the reasons why it's not a good thing. And I want to be here with you in that, you know, and, and you're not alone in your struggle, but let's name it a struggle because it's, it's affecting your world. It's affecting your family. It's affecting your community in this way. Well, how and many times do you approach somebody like that? <clears throat> and, you know, they say, well, you do this or you do that. And mm -hmm. so it's just kind of like, but that know. also speaks to the reason to live a just and moral life so that you can reprove and you can right. correct. Yeah. Um, because again, no one, I mean, I think the biggest detriment to the church's uh, ability to catechize and convert people is hypocrites, right? Yeah. Because they're like, well, you tell us to do this, but you're doing this. You know, you tell us not to have sex out of marriage or use, you know, birth control, but there's the abuse scandal. Well, you guys are hypocrites, so I'm not going to listen to you. Yeah. That's why it's so important to lead good moral lives so that, number one, you can be a good example. And, and, but then also number two, you can also have the mindset and the heart set to be able to judge and guide people. You know, yeah. it's not just about doing it so that you have a moral high ground. It's right. doing it so that you have moral clarity. Yeah. And sometimes, you know, you, you do it because you're like, Hey, I've been forgiven myself for a lot of these things and taking puppies off of bridges. Yeah. With scotch. <laughs> With scotch. Yeah. You got to do that with scotch. Otherwise they don't go very far. Yeah. I tried to do it with beer. It didn't work well. <laughs> <laughs> oh, <that's> so stupid. <laughs> so guys, those are some misinterpreted, misquoted, misused, misabused Bible verses. So if you've ever been tempted to use those Bible verses in that way, you don't have to anymore because father rich in his priestly ministry and Della cross in his ministry, watch uh, <laughs> Watch your mouth. Have cleared that up for us. So that was fun, guys. No, it was. It was a great, a great episode. We hope that you enjoyed it. And before we go our separate ways, we're on all social media platforms. We want you to share the show as we continue to reach out to new members of our community life as they're subscribing, as they're becoming patrons and supporting the show. We want to give a big shout out and a big amount of gratitude to our patrons that support the show by going to patreon.com forward slash Catholic talk show. You'll see every way that you could support us. And we look forward to this next batch shoot. Uh, so please keep the talk show in your prayers as we come up with new and creative content to continue to celebrate and share the beautiful Catholic faith that we all try to live by without judgment, without love and attachment of money. Some judgment. 
There's no judgment here. There's no judgment. Some judgment. There's some judgment. <laughs> some your feet are stinky. I'm judging your feet. I'm feeling a lot of judgment from you. A lot of shade. <laughs> well, God bless you guys, and we'll see you next week. Remember to pray for the holy souls in purgatory. <laughs>